Chapters 43, 44, and 45 of Beasts, Men, and Gods. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Beasts, Men, and Gods by Ferdinand Ossendowski. Chapter 43 The Birth of the Living Buddha. The Living Buddha does not die. His soul sometimes passes into that of a child born on the day of his death, and sometimes transfers itself to another being during the life of the Buddha. This new mortal dwelling of the sacred spirit of the Buddha almost always appears in the yurta of some poor Tibetan or Mongol family. There is a reason of policy for this. If the Buddha appears in the family of a rich prince, it could result in the elevation of a family that would not yield obedience to the clergy, and such has happened in the past, while on the other hand any poor unknown family that becomes the heritor of the throne of Genghis Khan acquires riches and is readily submissive to the lamas. Only three or four living Buddhas were of purely Mongolian origin, the remaining were Tibetans. One of the counsellors of the living Buddha, Lama Khan Chisaktu, told me the following. In the monasteries at Lhasa and Tashi Lumpo, they are kept constantly informed through letters from Urga about the health of the living Buddha. When his human body becomes old, and the spirit of Buddha strives to extricate itself, special solemn services begin in the Tibetan temples, together with the telling of fortunes by astrology. These rites indicate the specially pious lamas, who must discover where the spirit of the Buddha will be reincarnated. For this purpose they travel throughout the whole land and observe. Often God himself gives them signs and indications. Sometimes the white wolf appears near the yurta of a poor shepherd, or a lamb with two heads is born, or a meteor falls from the sky. Some lamas take fish from the sacred lake Tangri Nor, and read on the scales thereof the name of the new Bagdukan. Others pick out stones whose cracks indicate to them where they must search and whom they must find, while others secrete themselves in narrow mountain ravines to listen to the voices of the spirits of the mountains, pronouncing the name of the new choice of the gods. When he is found, all the possible information about his family is secretly collected and presented to the most learned Tashi Lama, having the name of Verdeni, the great gem of learning, who, according to the runes of Rama, verifies the selection. If he is in agreement with it, he sends a secret letter to the Dalai Lama, who holds a special sacrifice in the temple of the Spirit of the Mountains, and confirms the election by putting his great seal on this letter of the Tashi Lama. If the old living Buddha be still alive, the name of his successor is kept a deep secret. If the spirit of Buddha has already gone out from the body of Bagdu Khan, a special legation appears from Tibet with the new living Buddha. The same process accompanies the election of the Gagan and Hutaktus in all the Lamaite monasteries in Mongolia, but confirmation of the election resides with the living Buddha, and is only announced to Lhasa after the event. End of chapter. Chapter 44. A page in the history of the present living Buddha. The present Bagdu Khan of Outer Mongolian is a Tibetan. 
He sprang from a poor family living in the neighborhood of Sakia Kure in western Tibet. From earliest youth he had a stormy, quite unesthetic nature. He was fired with the idea of the independence and glorification of Mongolia and the successors of Genghis Khan. This gave him at once a great influence among the lamas, princes, and khans of Mongolia, and also with the Russian government which always tried to attract him to their side. He did not fear to arraign himself against the Manchu dynasty in China, and always had the help of Russia, Tibet, the Buryats and Kyrgyz, furnishing him with money, weapons, warriors, and diplomatic aid. The Chinese emperors avoided open war with the living God, because it might arouse the protests of the Chinese Buddhists. At one time they sent to the Bagdu Khan a skilful doctor-poisoner. The living Buddha, however, at once understood the meaning of this medical attention, and, knowing the power of Asiatic poisons, decided to make a journey through the Mongol monasteries and through Tibet. As his substitute, he left a hubulgan who made friends with the Chinese doctor, and inquired from him the purposes and details of his arrival. Very soon the Chinese died from some unknown cause, and the living Buddha returned to his comfortable capital. On another occasion danger threatened the living god. It was when Lhasa decided that the Bagdu Khan was carrying out a policy too independent of Tibet. The Dalai Lama began negotiations with several khans and princes, with the Sain Noyan Khan and Jasaktu Khan leading the movement, and persuaded them to accelerate the immigration of the spirit of Buddha into another human form. They came to Urga where the Bagdu Khan met them with honours and rejoicings. A great feast was made for them and the conspirators already felt themselves the accomplishers of the orders of the Dalai Lama. However, at the end of the feast, they had different feelings and died with them during the night. The living Buddha ordered their bodies sent with full honours to their families. The Bagdu Khan knows every thought, every movement of the princes and khans, the slightest conspiracy against himself, and the offender is usually kindly invited to Urga, from where he does not return alive. The Chinese government decided to terminate the line of the living Buddhas. Ceasing to fight with the pontiff of Urga, the government contrived the following scheme for accomplishing its ends. Peking invited the Pandita Gagan from Dolonor and the head of the Chinese Lamaites, the Hutuktu of Utai, both of whom do not recognize the supremacy of the living Buddha, to come to the capital. They decided, after consulting the old Buddhistic books, that the present Bagdu Khan was to be the last living Buddha, because that part of the spirit of Buddha which dwells in the Bagdu Khans can abide only thirty-one times in the human body. Bagdu Khan is the thirty-first incarnated Buddha from the time of Undur Gagan, and with him, therefore, the dynasty of the Urga Pontiffs must cease. However, on hearing this, the Bagdu Khan himself did some research work and found in the old Tibetan manuscripts that one of the Tibetan pontiffs was married, and his son was a natural incarnated Buddha. So the Bagdu Khan married and now has a son, a very capable and energetic young man, and thus the religious throne of Genghis Khan will not be left empty. The dynasty of the Chinese emperors disappeared from the stage of political events, but the living Buddha continues to be a centre for the Pan-Asiatic idea. 
The new Chinese government in 1920 held the living Buddha under arrest in his palace, but at the beginning of 1921, Baron Ungern crossed the sacred Bagdu Ol and approached the palace from the rear. Tibetan riders shot the Chinese sentries with bow and arrow, and afterwards the Mongols penetrated into the palace and stole their god, who immediately stirred up all Mongolia and awakened the hopes of the Asiatic peoples and tribes. In the great palace of the Bagdu, a lama showed me a special casket covered with a precious carpet, wherein they keep the bulls of the Dalai and Tashi lamas, the decrees of the Russian and Chinese emperors, and the treaties between Mongolia, Russia, China, and Tibet. In this same casket is the copper plate, bearing the mysterious sign of the King of the World, and the chronicle of the last vision of the living Buddha. End of chapter Chapter 45 The Vision of the Living Buddha of May 17, 1921 I prayed and saw that which is hidden from the eyes of the people. A vast plain was spread before me, surrounded by distant mountains. An old lama carried a basket filled with heavy stones. He hardly moved. From the north, a rider appeared in white robes and mounted on a white horse. He approached the lama and said to him, "'Give me your basket. I shall help you to carry them to the cure.' The lama handed his heavy burden up to him, but the rider could not raise it to his saddle, so that the old lama had to place it back on his shoulder and continue on his way, bent under its heavy weight. Then from the north came another rider in black robes and on a black horse, who also approached the lama and said, "'Stupid! Why do you carry these stones when they are everywhere about the ground?' With these words he pushed the lama over with the breast of his horse, and scattered the stones about the ground. When the stones touched the earth, they became diamonds. All three rushed to raise them, but not one of them could break them loose from the ground. Then the old lama exclaimed, "'O oh gods! All my life I have carried this heavy burden, and now, when there was left so little to go, I have lost it! Help me, great good gods! Suddenly a tottering old man appeared. He collected all the diamonds into the basket without trouble, cleaned the dust from them, raised the burden to his shoulder, and started out, speaking with the lama. Rest a while. I have just carried my burden to the goal, and I am glad to help you with yours. They went on and were soon out of sight while the riders began to fight. They fought one whole day, and then the whole night, and when the sun rose over the plain, neither was there, either alive or dead, and no trace of either remained. This I saw, Bagdu Hutaktu Khan, speaking with the great and wise Buddha, surrounded by the good and bad demons, wise lamas, Hutaktus, Kampos, Marambos, and holy Gagans, Give the answer to my vision. This was written in my presence on May 17, 1921, from the words of the living Buddha, just as he came out of his private shrine to his study. I do not know what the Hutuktu and Gagans, the fortune-tellers, sorcerers, and clairvoyants replied to him, but does not the answer seem clear if one realizes the present situation in Asia? 
Awakened Asia is full of enigmas, but it is also full of answers to the questions set by the destiny of mankind. This great continent of mysterious pontiffs, living gods, mahatmas, and readers of the terrible book of karma is awakening, and the ocean of hundreds of millions of human lives is lashed with monstrous waves. End of chapter.